Hello, and welcome to the September 2016 Respiratory Care Podcast. This is Dean Hess, editor of the journal. Our editor's choice paper explores the impact of an electronic medical record screening tool and therapist-driven protocol on length of stay and hospital readmission for COPD. LaRoche and colleagues found that utilization of the electronic medical record to identify subjects with likely COPD combined with a protocol directed by respiratory therapist assessment was associated with a trend towards decreased length of stay and reduction in readmission rates. There was a significant reduction of respiratory-triggered rapid response calls in subjects with a primary diagnosis of COPD. As suggested by Kaufman, readers are encouraged to use the results of this study to position respiratory therapists as value-added in the current healthcare system. Sodorn et al. evaluated the effect of heated humidification on CPAP adherence in subjects with obstructive sleep apnea and nasopharyngeal symptoms. They found that even in a tropical climate, CPAP adherence and quality of life were improved when heated humidification was employed in subjects with moderate to severe OSA and nasopharyngeal symptoms post-split night polysomnography. Karamanli suggests that these results may not be applicable to the general population in a tropical climate. The research was performed in a small sample size and lasted only four weeks, and thus a study with a longer duration is required in order to confirm the clinical efficacy. Nonetheless, a substantially greater benefit of heated humidification may be gained in patients with nasal complaints prior to initiating CPAP. The study by Simon and colleagues compared high-flow nasal cannula to bag valve mask for hyperoxygenation and to assess oxygenation during intubation in subjects with hypoxemic respiratory failure. They found that pre-oxygenation using high-flow nasal cannula prior to intubation was feasible and safe compared to bag valve mask. There was a significant decrease in oxygen saturation during the apnea phase prior to intubation in the bag valve mask group, which was not seen in the high-flow nasal cannula group. Parato and Cooper point out that the role of high-flow nasal cannula in this setting has yet to be clearly established. It remains to be determined whether patients at risk can be reliably predicted and whether high-flow nasal cannula or non-invasive ventilation can provide protection against oxygen desaturation. Further data with high-risk patients optimizing the use of these techniques are warranted. Dobroselsky et al. estimated the prevalence of sleep disorder breathing among collegiate football players. Based on their sample, they estimate the prevalence of sleep disorder breathing among collegiate football players to be 8% regardless of risk stratification. Given the strong link between sleep disorder breathing and cardiovascular disease, this underscores the importance of screening and subsequent treatment of sleep disorder breathing in this highly conditioned yet potentially vulnerable group of athletes. Walsh et al. assessed the feasibility and utility of a newly developed patient categorization and scoring system to objectively measure compliance with standards of care. They demonstrate the first categorization system utilizing a coordinated 
data banking system and analytics to determine patient status and a surveillance of mechanical ventilation quality. Further research is needed to determine if interventions such as visual display of variance from goal and patient categorization summaries can improve patient outcomes. The next four papers relate to management of COPD. Sareva and colleagues evaluated predictors of three-year mortality and factors associated with early in the first year and late in the second and third year mortality in subjects with severe COPD who completed a pulmonary rehabilitation program. They report a high mortality in subjects with late-stage COPD. The most relevant factors associated with mortality were lung cancer, respiratory failure and non-invasive ventilation, severe exacerbations with hospitalization, and lower functional exercise capacity. The most relevant factors associated with mortality were lung cancer, respiratory failure and non-invasive ventilation, severe exacerbations with hospitalization, and lower functional exercise capacity. Walter Spacker et al. assessed whether the severe respiratory insufficiency questionnaire is capable of assessing and discriminating health-related quality of life in subjects receiving long-term oxygen therapy. The severe respiratory insufficiency tool had a high reliability and validity in subjects with COPD receiving long-term oxygen therapy. Subjects receiving long-term oxygen therapy had lower severe respiratory insufficiency scores, indicating a poor health-related quality of life compared to subjects with non-invasive ventilation and long-term oxygen therapy. Fortis and colleagues tested the hypothesis that some patients carry a persistent empiric COPD diagnosis and receive treatment with bronchodilators and inhaled steroids after pulmonary function testing shows no obstruction. They found that persistent empiric COPD diagnosis was 7%, but persistent empiric treatment was common. The prevalence of chronic renal failure in subjects with COPD was assessed by Abdelhalem et al. compared with that of a control group to investigate the relationships of the clinical and functional data with subjects' renal conditions. Significantly worse renal function was observed in the COPD group compared to control subjects. They conclude that chronic renal failure should not be ignored or underestimated in patients with COPD. The objective of the study by Wu and colleagues was to determine the relationship between obstructive sleep apnea and inflammatory markers and quality of life in patients with acute coronary symptoms, especially in those undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention. Subjects with acute coronary syndrome undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention who had moderate to severe OSA showed higher levels of inflammatory mediators and lower treatment satisfaction and disease perception. These factors may increase the risk of adverse sequelae by increasing the systemic inflammatory response. The objective of the study by Vasquez Garcia et al. was to determine reference equations for single breath diffusing capacity of the lung from healthy Hispanic adults using the most recent guidelines and taking into account altitude above sea level and hemoglobin concentration. 
They recommend using these new single-breath diffusing capacity reference equations to predict single-breath diffusing capacity in Latin America. To characterize the prevalence and outcome of patients receiving prolonged mechanical ventilation in Chinese ICUs, Li and colleagues conducted a prospective one-day prevalence study in 55 ICUs with a 28-day follow-up. The prevalence of prolonged mechanical ventilation was high in this cross-section of Chinese ICUs. After 28 ICU days, only a small proportion of subjects with prolonged mechanical ventilation were liberated. Age and chronic heart dysfunction were risk factors for prolonged mechanical ventilation. This month, we publish a meta-analysis and systematic review of the effectiveness of intraoral chlorhexidine protocols in the prevention of ventilator-associated pneumonia. We also published a systematic review of obstructive fibrinous tracheal pseudomembrane after endotracheal intubation. And finally, we publish a review on brain tissue oxygen monitoring. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.